Welcome to Intangibles, a podcast about the traits, behaviors, and qualities that entrepreneurs can cultivate to help be successful. This podcast is created by Andesite Ventures, an enterprise-focused seed stage venture firm in New York City. You can find us at www.antecedent.vc. I'm your host, Steve Berg. This season is brought to you by Denton's Venture Technology Group at dentonsventurebeyond.com. Operating as a boutique within the world's largest law firm, the Venture Technology Group runs with hard-charging tech entrepreneurs to drive growth through strategic business, finance, and legal advice from Silicon Valley and New York to London, Berlin, Hong Kong, and beyond. Learn more at dentonsventurebeyond.com. Today's topic is branding. When I invest in a startup, I know the founder is going to need to be the one who will be responsible for telling the story of the company, and the founder will be the one responsible for making the first sales of the product. Ask any first-time founder, and they will tell you that getting out there, being noticed, and making initial sales is much harder than they thought it would be. The reason for this is twofold. First, branding, both personal and startup branding, is something that requires skill, creativity, and perseverance. Second, it requires some general knowledge of what one should actually do. Most of the technical founders I've worked with have focused for years on technology and on building the product. They have not focused on branding. The idea that branding is a requirement for success is something new to them. Lucky for you and for me, our guest today knows something about branding. Dory Clark is a branding renaissance woman. She is an author of multiple books, including most recently, Stand Out. She's an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University. She's a consultant. She's a blogger. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Time, and Entrepreneur. She's a sought-after speaker, you name it. Hi, Dory. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. What did I leave out of the introduction? Anything? <laughs> Believe it or not, I actually uh, was a producer of a couple uh, of a jazz album that won a couple of Grammys. Personal color. I should have known. <laughs> That's probably the most random and undeserved fact. So my intuition says that personal branding should be simply letting people know what it is that I'm all about. But if that were the case, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So what is personal branding? So personal branding, as I see it, is essentially just taking control of the reputation that others have for you. Um, some people get tense about the idea of personal branding. Some people don't even like the phrase because it seems skeezy to them in some way. But the truth is, people think something about you. This, this is not something we can control. It's not, oh, should I have a brand? You have a brand. And the only question is, is it what you would wish it to be? And are you willing to take the time to understand what it is and wrap your arms around it so that people are seeing you the right way and they are actually seeing your true potential rather than some caricature that they may have just casually picked up over the years? One thing that I was wondering about is everything ceteris paribus, your brand could potentially be boring. Are there ways to um, choose certain things about what you are and emphasize those things over others? You certainly can. I mean, I think this is this is one of the areas that gets misunderstood sometimes because there's for obvious reasons, a lot of talk about the question of authenticity when it comes to personal branding. And so for some people, it, there's an idea that if you are being 
thoughtful or strategic about your personal brand, that in some ways that means de facto that it's inauthentic, that you're uh, projecting some image that may or may not be correct. But I want to push back against that idea because the, the truth is we are just as humans, different in different situations. I'm willing to bet that if you were at a dinner party with your parents and your grandparents, you're probably different than you are out on a Saturday night drinking with your friends. I mean, these are not different yous. They're just different facets of you and you are emphasizing them accordingly. And I think personal branding is like that as well. You want to understand the context and emphasize the the relevant parts of you that are useful in that situation. So in controlling it, what you really mean is, you know, kind of defining the audience and what are the significant parts of you to that audience. That's exactly right. If you are an entrepreneur and you're meeting with investors, you know there are certain things that they care about, that they want to understand. They want they want to know about your leadership skills. They want to know that you're reliable. They want to know that you have the diligence and the discipline to actually execute on things. Uh, if you can think of ways to, and we can talk about <laughs> what some of those ways are, but if you can think of ways to demonstrate that, not only through what you say, but also through the actions and behaviors that you manifest, then you're far more likely to connect with them and make a positive impression that that actually helps you achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah. So let's dive into some of those qualities a little bit more. In the intro, I spoke specifically about creativity and perseverance as essential to uh, personal branding, but I've got to believe that it's more than that as well. Um, if I want to build my brand and create value, what qualities should I be relying on? Um, for example, I mean, I'll just throw one out, um, consistency in terms of output, right? Is there, do you have thoughts on, on, on some of the things that I should be, uh, you know, making sure are part of my process for personal brand? Sure. So there's, there's two parallel tracks here that we should be thinking about. The, the, the first one is what I would call just baseline skills that that every professional needs. These are things that it may not be your biggest quality. It may not be the thing that you lead with in terms of how you engage with people. But if you lack those things, it risks disqualifying you. Uh, an investor is not going to want to work with you if you have a, a perception as being flaky, for instance. Um, you don't necessarily have to be, oh, you know, Steve, he's the most diligent person in the world. That doesn't have to be the first thing that people think of, but it also can't be the last thing either. You just need to to demonstrate general professionalism. And there's really basic ways to to show that. I mean, this this is what, you know, every entrepreneur, every employee can do. It's, it's things like uh, getting people documents when you say you will. It's showing up for meetings on time, all these kinds of things. But I think what's probably even the more interesting part is thinking about what is your unique mix? What is your special sauce that you're bringing? It's not the, the kind of minimum qualities. It's where are the areas where you specifically excel in terms of your brand? And that is an area where instead of looking outside and working inward, it actually goes the other way. This, this is almost a form of self-knowledge or self 
excavation where you really begin to take a deep look at who you are and understand what it is about you that is just a little bit different. And those are the traits, the, the things that, that really are distinctive that in the marketplace people look and say, wow, well, you know, lots of people are creative, but Steve's really creative. That's what you can end up leading with and what makes you distinctive and valuable. So, all right, let's dive into a couple of those in particular um, elements of personal branding. Uh, maybe you just give your thoughts on each one. You touched a little bit on authenticity. So kind of understanding what it is, um, but how do you generate authenticity? Just that act, the notion of generating authenticity is inauthentic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when it, when it comes to authenticity, I mean, really, uh, the way that I think about it, I mean, this is not, this is not something I think we need to overanalyze in a lot of ways. To me, it is just a reminder. It's a, a rejoinder to us that when we think about personal branding, it shouldn't be an exercise in sticking your finger to the wind and saying, what does the world want me to be? That is the wrong approach. That is the wrong framework. The framework needs to go the other way. It needs to say, okay, how can I learn more about myself? How can I learn who I am? And then with that knowledge, be able to more successfully convey to other people why those qualities actually matter why that's a good thing. I think if that's how we think about personal branding, you're going to be led much closer down the path of success. What about, and I know you've spoken about this as well, um, honesty, transparency, openness. Obviously pretty key, right? Um, I know also that you've discussed not too much. <laughs> um, you yes. are, like you've got, there's like a certain amount that's the right amount. Um, if you have some thoughts on that, I think that seems like an important one to me. Yeah, honesty and, and transparency obviously are, are key. I mean, no, you know, no one's going to want to do business with, invest in, et cetera, someone that is perceived as being dishonest, you know, fudging the numbers or, or you know, using some kind of underhanded tactic. We all know that ultimately um, that is going to, to backfire. But the, the, the real question there, of course, is that you don't want to swing to the other extreme where you do, you know, radical honesty and are saying – anything that's on your mind or are revealing so much that culturally it makes other people uncomfortable, frankly, whether that's talking about your, your business uh, failures and, you know, oh, this was a terrible month. I think, I think we're probably close to going out of business <laughs> or uh, when it comes to personnel issues or maybe you sharing way too much about your personal life with your employees and creating a situation where it may either feel like harassment <laughs> or just way too much. Um, so I, I think that these are poles that we need to navigate between. But the truth is, I think in a lot of ways, it's not that difficult. Sometimes when people want to uh, kind of poke holes in the concept of personal branding, they will use these extreme case examples to say, well, what about this? So, for instance, there was a, a New York Times piece that uh, that came out last year from Adam Grant, who I think is uh, is fantastic. And he's a Wharton professor, um, successful author. Uh, he's, he's a friend of mine, and I, I love his work. But this is a piece where I would 
tend to disagree. He was writing this op-ed talking about authenticity and personal branding, and he was he was arguing against it essentially. He was he was saying, you know, no, 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 we you know we shouldn't be too authentic. And the example that he was holding up was. A.J. Jacobs, who, you know, note clearly, let's put this in bold, is a comedic author. He was giving the example of A.J. Jacobs uh, having this experience with radical honesty in which he told his nanny that he wanted to sleep with her. Now, I think any sane person would know this is not a good idea. This is not being authentic. This is a comic writing about an extreme example. This is not what people are advocating in in the work world. So I think is is it true that there are some people who are outliers that maybe are just not familiar with cultural norms? Maybe, but I, I think most of us can actually intuitively do a pretty good job of navigating these shoals. I want to put a finer point on it. So if I'm interested in honesty, transparency, and openness, do I want people to think, ah, Steve's an honest, transparent, open guy, or do I want them to think nothing? Just like, do I want them to like not notice, not really care, and and that being kind of the average, which is passable? Right. I think that it it depends on what your personal calculation is of what your greatest strengths are. And let, let me explain for a moment. Because when it comes to your brand, this is the case for, for basically everyone – there's only so many pieces of data that people can take in. Your, your brand is probably not, in most people's mind, going to be 16 different things. I mean, maybe if it's your mom, maybe if it's your, your partner, they think a million things. Most people are probably paying very half-hearted attention to you. They're not going to have that fine-grained of a picture. And so, at most, your brand is probably going to be maybe three things. Oh, Steve, he's really smart. He's really fun. He's really creative. Okay. Great. Done. And so you have to ask yourself, if there's only three things that people are thinking about me, what, what is most important? There may be some people who say, yes, honesty, that's, that is the horse that I want to ride. I feel like that is my unique strength, that I am a truth teller. But for a lot of us, it's it's not necessarily going to be that. Um, I would put honesty probably for most people in the category of what we were talking about earlier, these sort of minimum acceptable professional behaviors. Yes, Steve's diligent, Steve's responsible, Steve's honest. Boom. Now let's get to what makes him special. Perfect. Um, let's move on to the next element. Um, actually having something to say. Um, thought leadership on a certain on a certain thing. That's you know, if you want people to pay attention, it seems like they they need a reason. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And in fact, one of the things that I am a big fan of, and this is something I advocate in in my book, Stand Out, is the importance of content creation. And I think you know, certainly for. For companies, I mean, most people recognize uh, that if you if you have a company, if you have a startup, creating good, useful content is a great way to attract customer attention, to get you know earned media, etc. But I also believe that it is important for for individual entrepreneurs as well. And part of the reason, if you are creating a startup, if you are looking to put something out into the world that needs to attract the attention of other people, whether that is being able to attract the best staff, whether it's attracting funders, whether perhaps you're 
trying to get clients in the marketplace, it, it becomes almost impossible for people to, to really tell how talented you are, how good your ideas are, if you are not sharing your ideas. Now, for sure, we can all think of examples. I mean, there's some people that don't bother to do this and they're just tightly plugged in to uh, venture capital communities or whatever. And so from word of mouth in a small community, you can say, oh, well, you know, yeah, just just give this guy money. He's smart. Okay, boom, you know, job done. That's that's wonderful. But I think that there's a couple of, of other pieces here. Number one, not everyone has the advantage yet of being so tightly plugged into these circles. And if you are fighting your way into it, let's say you're a first-time entrepreneur, people don't really know who you are, you don't have a track record, you need to give people something else to hang their hat on so that it's not just a perception, it's not just, oh, well, you know, he seems cool. You want to give people a way to see your ideas and put them out there. And content is a fantastic way of, of doing that. I consider it a risk mitigation strategy because it makes people feel more confident in, in you and in your ideas. The other thing too is that what people often overlook is that creating and sharing content is a way to scale yourself dramatically. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It may in fact be all you need for uh, VCs in New York or Silicon Valley to know who you are. But let me tell you, you are going to get invested in faster. You are going to be far more likely to be successful if people outside those circles know who you are too, because it creates an echo chamber. Because when the people you want to reach start hearing about you from other people, from other unexpected sources, then they start to say, wait a minute, there's something here. Aunt Millie read that piece in Fast Company. Oh my gosh, we've got to get on this bandwagon. But let's face it, creating content is is hard, right? Especially good content, especially thought leadership content. And, you know, I want to kind of turn this on its head for a second. I've read content from somebody who it felt like they just had to come up with something every couple of weeks and it felt watered down and it almost worked against them. Um, so uh, any thoughts that you have on kind of doing it right and making sure that you actually are saying something of value? Yeah, several thoughts. So number one, you're absolutely right. Content creation should not be a rote exercise. This is not a box that you check and you say, oh, I'm so busy. But if I hire this guy in India, he could he could come up with something and I can post it. That is usually a very poor strategy. Um, you want to to create something that that you feel proud to put your name on. Um, however, I, I think that there's a lot of room within that for people to, uh, to be creative. For instance, I work with a, a lot of people who are, um, I guess uh, we could say aspiring thought leaders. They are um, people in the field who are working to try to get their ideas known. I run this uh, this online course called Recognized Expert, and I hear from a lot of folks in the course that one of their biggest concerns up front is just the question of claiming their expertise. You know, in the beginning, it's, well, why should people listen to me? Or, okay, I think my ideas are good, but what if I put them out there and everyone else thinks they're ridiculous? And there's a lot of concern about that in the early days. And so something that I actually recommend is, okay, if you feel nervous sharing your ideas, fine. Don't let that stop you. Instead of sharing your ideas up front, interview other people. Talk to people that you actually 
respect yourself and think, all right, well, you know, Steve's amazing. What if I just interview him and put it, put it together and kind of create my own spin on Steve's concepts and, and just, you know, shine a light on his ideas? That serves many purposes. Number one, it's a great networking tool because if I'm interviewing you, I get to spend time with you. Number two, you are quote unquote leading with value to use that magic phrase because I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, Steve, do me a favor. I'm saying, let let me help promote you. Number three, you get the credit for it. I mean, yes, it's it's Steve's ideas. It, people know that and understand it. But if your name is on the byline and you are putting it forward, people will often reach out to you and say, oh, you know, great piece, great ideas, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can't even tell you. I blogged for a number of years for, for Forbes and I, I actually wrote uh, a piece the entire piece was me interviewing a colleague of mine who had written a book about strategic agility. And I got a call from a conference organizer and they wanted me to give a keynote talk about strategic agility because they said, oh, we read your piece. It was fantastic. It wasn't even my I, content. I mean, and, you know, I, I, I always try to be a good person about this. And I said, look, I'm really not the expert in strategic agility here. You should, you should invite my colleague that I interviewed. But it sort of shows the mentality that if you write the piece, people say, oh, well, let's, let's get her. That is genius. I think I'll start a podcast. Brilliant. Um, last um, element that I want to touch on, the discipline in strategic execution, right? Um, in order to do, in order to have a personal brand, there really should be a plan and there should be an execution of a plan. And I, I would think that if you let it slide, if your content doesn't come out or comes out sporadically, if you don't keep control, like this could be kind of, even worse than not having a personal brand at all, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I I would I wouldn't say that it's worse necessarily because the the default for most people is just to give it no thought and have zero strategy. So even if you have like ten percent or twenty percent strategy, that's actually better than a lot of people. But nonetheless, you are absolutely correct that that having an overarching plan and executing it is a valuable and important thing to do. I, I think that there is a misconception when it comes to personal brand that many people think of it as this kind of one and done phenomenon. Like, oh, okay, well, that was on the agenda for, for May. And uh, now I don't have to think about it ever. <laughs> and, you know, of course, that's not really true because people's perceptions of you uh, are a moving target. You keep meeting new people. Um, over time, your interests may change, your skills certainly change, your goals change, et cetera. Um, the way that I think about developing a personal brand, and this is something that I, I lay out in my first book, Reinventing You, is that fundamentally it is a three-step process that we need to keep in mind. So phase one is identifying what your current brand is, because, you know, we all do have one. Number two is creating the, the vision, the future vision of your ideal personal brand so that you know what you're aiming for and can actually work backwards from that goal. You can see, this is true for almost everyone, that there's going to be some some daylight between where you are now and where you want to be. And it enables you to focus, to say, well, what skills do I need to obtain? What what uh, connections do I need to build in my network, for instance, in order to get me to that place of where I would like my personal brand to be? But the third and final step where a lot of people uh, just kind of fall off is what I call living your brand. And this is the fact that on an ongoing basis, your, your personal brand, it's not, you know, some fixed thing that 
you know, oh, I say that I'm this. It's your personal brand isn't your elevator pitch. I mean, you know, that's like a little piece of it, like who you say you are. But really, your personal brand is the sum total of who you are in the world. It's everything from what comes up about you when there's a Google search to who your friends are, to what professional associations you're involved in, to, uh, you know, just how you treat people in the world. And so you want to make sure on a regular basis, just, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time, but just think, it, are the actions that I'm taking aligned with how I want to be seen in the world? Am I acting in such a way that the perception I want to send is unmistakable? I think that part of your personal brand should be omniscient because you answered the question that I was just about to ask. Fantastic. <laughs> Let me swap over a little bit and spend some time talking about audience um, for a personal brand. What are some of the best ways to develop a useful network without being annoying uh, and obvious about it? Well, in terms of in terms of developing uh, a, a network for yourself, I, I think that it, networking, much like personal branding, is an area that's really loaded for a lot of people because both have have kind of a, a similar flavor in some people's minds that it is an activity that may feel unsavory in some way uh, that that it's about. Um, a purely transactional viewpoint. And I think that the first thing to, to really push back against is that that is not networking. That is what I would consider to be networking done extremely poorly. No one is advocating for that. No one thinks that that is a good idea. No one likes that. And so I, I really want to get it out of people's heads that this is, you know, what they should be doing, quote unquote. And then they're like, well, I, I'm not like that. I don't want to play that game. It's ridiculous. I mean, the truth is, every human being likes to be around their friends and do business with their friends. I know that sometimes there's a little cultural thing about like, oh, I don't, I don't want to mix business and pleasure, blah, blah, blah. S Silicon Valley and the startup economy is based on the premise of doing business with your friends. And you know what? That is actually okay. And it's more than okay. Because the truth is, if you have decent, good, smart, hardworking friends, then, then that's a great thing to do. If you have shitty friends, then yeah, don't do business with them. But hopefully those people aren't in your life anyway. If you really respect your network, then you're going to want to do business with them. So I think that, that going in and embracing it is good. Now, so the, the corollary, the important point here is that the sleazy part is if you are cultivating relationships with people you don't actually even like and are pretending to do that because you think, oh, well, this could be good for me down the road. What we need to do is totally divorce networking from the concept of short-term gain. The minute short-term gain enters your head, you are doing networking wrong. Networking is about long-term gain, and it's in fact so long-term, you can't even see it, you can't even predict it. What we want to be doing is building friendships and building relationships with people that you like. And if you build a good friend circle based on genuine interests and genuine care, then the network takes care of itself. One of the things that I um, often see with the founders that I work with, um, just based on on you know their particular skill set, is that they're introverts. And I'm not dead positive, but I have a suspicion that you actually are an introvert. Um, are there any 
uh, particular tips that might be useful in terms of building a network or an audience for those people who might not naturally be as good at this? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have I have many. In fact, I, I, for people who are interested, I have a piece that I wrote for the Harvard Business Review called "Networking for Introverts." So you can you can Google it if you like. Shocking. <laughs> but oh, and I also have one called "Personal Branding for Introverts." Come to think of it, uh, but uh, but yes, I am I am an introvert. In fact, I gave a speech last night, and you know it was, it was great. It was a great crowd. It went really well. But at the end of this event, you know, two hours later, I was. I was just emotionally ripped to shreds because you have to be so focused and so on. And it was great. And it kind of leaves you on a high. It's really fun. But I couldn't have continued doing that. I didn't, you know, I mean, some people are all like, hey, let's go out for dinner. Let's, you know, keep it going. No, absolutely not. I think that that one of the most important things for introverts to be aware of is being mindful of their rhythms. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like circadian rhythms, you know, like I think most introverts can pull it together to be really on and focused and give the speech or go to the event or do whatever. But the problem is when they keep pushing themselves like the extroverts to, oh, well, there's a cocktail party and then there's the event and then there's the after party and then there's the after after party. No, you have to pick and choose and you have to recognize that this is emotionally taxing for you and you need to stop because there's diminishing returns after a while and it gets bad. So as long as you're mindful of that and you choose your battles, you can do it really well. The other point that I, uh, that I have about this is that I think choosing, choosing your terrain so that you have control over it is essential because the default for a lot of quote unquote networking activities is some extrovert's idea of a good time where it's like 500 people in a room that you don't know and you just randomly are supposed to go up to strangers and introduce yourself, which I personally find like the seventh circle of hell. I think it's horrible and I've stopped going to those events entirely. Now, I used to go to them when I started my business because I thought like, well, that's what you have to do. But I realized you absolutely do not have to do that. And you can either choose events that are nicer for you or even better. What I like to do now is host my own events, which, you know, could be just inviting people for drinks, for dinner, whatever. It's smaller, it's more contained, and I can really have a good time and excel there because I have, I have chosen the, the theater of battle. So keeping in mind what you were saying about um, the long tail of, of building a network, um, how do you create a meaningful and unforced exchange with the people in your network? Like, how do you start to generate value for them and value for yourself from those interactions? Well, I think that over time, if you are getting to know people properly, those opportunities present themselves in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, to me, it's really a question of listening. And I will explain what I mean by that. I think that a, a lot of people kind of take a lazy approach when it comes to networking or, you know, okay, I know I should be adding value. What does that mean? I got to hurry up, hurry up, add value, add value. And so what they do is they force it. And this is a pet peeve of mine, but you meet somebody once, let's say, and at the end of your meeting, they're like, so what can I do to help you? And it's like, I don't know. I have no idea. And it's, and it's annoying, frankly. It's, it's a, it's a sweet thought, but it's annoying. 
Because number one, you don't really know enough about that person to know how they can help you. Number two, you don't have enough of a relationship with them that you really feel comfortable asking for for anything of real value. So it just puts you in an awkward situation. And oftentimes, number three, I consider that to be sometimes a rather transparent ploy to get the other person to say, I'm not sure, how can I help you? And then they have this like laundry list for you of, oh, well, actually, um, could you like introduce me to Mark Andreessen? And, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Um, so instead, what I think is a much better way to do it is don't ask ask that question and instead understand them and observe enough so that you can proactively be thoughtful. And just if you, if you know from knowing somebody that they are interested in, um, you know, whatever, that they want to start writing for more publications over time, if you have a friend that is a contributor at a certain place, maybe you could say, oh, you know, I could have a little dinner party and I can invite, you know, Joe and Brett and, you know, maybe they could sit together and, you know, oh, you know, Brett, I know you've been writing for Forbes for a long time. That's something that Joe's really interested in. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how that works. And you just, you, you make it easy. I just made an introduction um, this week and, you know, kind of random, but it's two people in the business world, in the startup world and the, the connection there, it's pretty tangential, but I had, I was out with a friend. She was talking to me about wanting to start, starting to do more real estate investing. And I had been having lunch with a guy a couple of weeks before who told me that he has been buying all these brownstones in the Bronx as, as real estate investments. And I mentioned this to my friend. She said, Oh my God, I want to learn about how to do that. That sounds like a great idea. And so I matched them up. Not, you know, it's going to be a good business connection, but the point of connection wasn't even that. It was just, it's adding, it's adding value based on just really listening to what people care about. So let's put the uh, two sides together for just a minute. I've got my personal brand that I've been working with. I've got an audience that I've been building. How do I keep control of that brand and that message, you know, such that I'm kind of direct directing traffic in the right way to ultimately you know, produce the right outcome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that as you're, as you're monitoring your, your personal brand, so to speak, I mean, there's, there's touch points, there's ways that you can check in. One of course is, uh, you know, really, really simple. Um, I am a, a big fan of encouraging people you know, not not all the time because this, <laughs> this can kind of become uh, narcissistically addictive in our modern society. But like, let's say once a month, it's a good idea to do a Google search on yourself and just be mindful of what are the the things on the first you know two three pages that come up. What what perception would somebody have? What are the pieces? What is being emphasized so that you can kind of keep a, a pulse? If a stranger was looking at this, what impression would they have? I think another way that that we can be thoughtful about this is uh, thinking through um, our sort of core group of advisors. I mean, I'm I'm a, a big fan of every professional, particularly people who are working largely on their own in an entrepreneurial environment, of having some kind of inner circle. I mean, it, it could be a formal mastermind, but it certainly doesn't have to be. It It's really just your kitchen cabinet of people that you trust and that you know have your best interests at heart. And these are the people that if you can really cultivate a, a network that 
is willing to speak honestly with you and you, you trust that their motives are good, they can help you keep, keep tabs on how things are evolving. So the occasional survey, um, any of any mistakes that I want to avoid in terms of, you know, how am I building brand or how am I cultivating audience or how am I keeping track of it? Anything like just quick, no, never do this. I think that when it comes to common mistakes, um, a, a big one is especially for people that have started from a place where they are a little bit uncomfortable with the concept of personal branding or networking, something like that. When they try to get into it, sometimes they overcompensate and they, you know, because they were so resistant to it at first, they're like, okay, fine. I need to do it. I need to do it. And so, you know, they, they gather up all this momentum and is, they dive into what has been the negative caricature for them because they feel like, well, this is what everyone's doing and this is what I have to do. And it's really important that if for some reason these are loaded topics for you, and, and it could be a lot of reasons, maybe your family was always like, you know, be humble, don't promote yourself, blah, blah, blah. You know, it gets drilled in. You assume that when other people are doing things that, that you know, they have this kind of nefarious motive and and that they're they're just, you know, being so out there. And the, the truth is when, when anyone is like that, people hate it. And so you don't want to go from being the person that does nothing to being the person that does too much because you don't know how to calibrate it. I think instead it's important for you. This is something that my, my colleague Andy Malinsky from Brandeis, uh, suggests. We collaborated on a number of pieces together for the Harvard Business Review about cross-cultural issues in personal branding. And so it's particularly acute if people are coming from foreign cultures, although, you know, certainly it, it applies to some people in the U.S. as well. Um, but it can be very useful to find what we what we would call a personal branding mentor. And this could be somebody that you just feel like, okay, even if personal branding is like really sleazy, this person does it in a way that seems okay to me. I can respect how this person does it. And, you know, if, if you know them and have a good relationship with them, great. You can talk to them about it a little bit. But even if you don't, even if you're watching them from afar, if you can calibrate yourself to them, I think it helps you avoid the excesses that would come from not really knowing how to do it and then just just pushing yourself too far in the opposite direction. So I need to find myself the Anna Wintour of personal branding. All right, last question. Um, how much time should I expect to devote to the endeavor of personal branding on a you know daily basis or weekly basis? What what percent should I allocate? Well, I, I think that I would consider personal branding to not necessarily be a line item that one would devote time to. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think of it like that because a lot of the essence of personal branding, it's things you're doing anyway. It's a question of self-knowledge and it's a question of how how you act in the world. It's not more time. You're already doing these things. It's really about being strategic about how you do it. And so, you know, maybe you need some time for self-reflection up front. I mean, you know, if people, if people really feel like they're disconnected from themselves, I mean, maybe we can say, okay, we'll go, you know, have a, you know, have a half day you know, retreat in the woods and, you know, really think about yourself or, you know, or talk, you know, talk to some of your closest friends about this or something. But it's, it's not a, a question of, of time. It's a question of emphasis. It's a question of, uh, of strategy. 
I would put content creation in, in a slightly different um, bucket because that's, yes, it's personal branding and it's helpful there, but it's also helpful in, in lots of other areas in terms of overall marketing for, for your business. So the great, the great news about expending effort on personal branding is that it helps that category, but it also helps almost everything else. It's, it helps your networking. It helps your marketing for your business. It helps um, just make everything else that you're trying to do happen better and faster because, you know, let's face it, we we all know this intuitively. If people have already heard of you, it is a lot easier to get meetings. It is a lot easier to to get funding. They see, oh, well, you know, Steve Berg. Yeah, I've been wanting to meet him for a while. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, bring him in. I Boom. remember that podcast with Dory Clark. That was awesome. That was amazing. All right, those are the prepared questions. Um, before we close, there is there anything that you'd like to discuss that I might might have missed? Anything that that was significant or important that I omitted? I think I think we covered a lot of highlights. One thing that I that I will mention as a resource in case people are interested is if uh, if people want to gauge where they are with their personal brand. I actually earlier this year created a, a free evaluation. It's actually a scored evaluation that people can take to measure where they are on the path to becoming a recognized expert in their field, and it provides. Uh, targeted recommendations based on that score about what they can do to move the needle. And people can get that for free at doryclark.com slash toolkit. Once again, and a step ahead of me, um, any place else that the people listening can find you that you would point them to? Are you a Twitterer? I do use Twitter. I am at Dory Clark. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. So they can find me there or the, uh, the other, the other, uh, typical social channels. And one, one more thing as we're, as we're rolling out resources, if people really want to think deeply about developing their personal brand and what it might look like, I also have a free 42 page self-assessment. It's uh, it's 139 self-assessment questions that literally just walks you through the process of understanding who you are, what your what your breakthrough ideas are, how to start spreading them in the world. And if people are interested in diving in and maybe using that as a way to kickstart this, they can go to doryclark.com slash join. Perfect. All right, let's end here. I want to thank you very much for your time and insight. I enjoyed it. I'm, it's very helpful. I'm certain that everyone listening will enjoy it as well. Thank you so much. Steve, thanks. This has been Intangibles, a podcast created by Antecedent Ventures. Find out more at www.antecedent.vc. I'd like to thank Denton's Venture Technology Group at dentonsventurebeyond.com for being the sponsor this season and a supportive partner. Operating as a boutique within the world's largest law firm, the Venture Technology Group runs with hard-charging tech entrepreneurs to drive growth through strategic business, finance, and legal advice, from Silicon Valley and New York to London, Berlin, Hong Kong, and beyond. Learn more at dentonsventurebeyond.com. I'd also like to thank Ben Glaui, who's been instrumental in helping me record and produce this season. I couldn't have done it without him. Find him on Twitter at visible underscore sound. And thank you. Keep an eye out for the next episode. And if you like this one, leave us a favorable review. I'm your host, Steve Berg.